Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. It's a turning point moment here in the Northeast. The leaves have started to change color, and both here and elsewhere, it's time for a change. The ability to process past trauma has everything to do with our ability to change. So today, our guest, Pamela Gay, Professor Emerita in Creative Writing, Flash Fiction, Flash Memoir, Binghamton University, and author of I'm So Glad You're Here, a memoir published by She Writes Press in May, is going to help us work through this. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you, Diane. So we're going to dive right in to the idea of writing about trauma, which is what you've done in I'm So Glad mm-hmm. You're Here. Um, yeah. we're, beset, we're, we're beset with trauma. Um, we have a generalized trauma right now from the news, an ongoing mm-hmm. pandemic, mm-hmm. a fear that no one's going to come to help if a wildfire or hurricane destroys our house or if another fellow man gets shot because of the color of his skin. Um, But a traumatic event um, fragments into shrapnel like shards that remain in us. And I wonder, because (laughs) you you know from this, Pamela, talk to us about writing about trauma from a cellular memory. Mm. Very challenging, very difficult, and I avoided it for a long time. Um, The book just came out. 2020, but I was just thinking today, back in 1999, I, I wrote the opening piece um, that I have here called Turkey Day, which is a very riveting account of that trauma I experienced at age 18, but I used... Tell us what it, it is. Tell, tell us what happened on Turkey Day so that our listeners know. Yeah. I wonder if I could just read an excerpt from it so they could sure. hear my voice. I won't read the whole, I mean, I could read the whole thing. It's not that long. That would be lovely. I could that would be lovely. Yeah, that would the be great. The whole thing or the excerpt? Just, just an excerpt is fine. I think we'll, yeah, we'll get it. Yeah, that's what I thought. That, that way, um, hear my voice and, okay, so Turkey Day. I was 18 and home from college on Thanksgiving break. It was my mother's birthday. John F. Kennedy had just been shot, and my father was being carried on in a stretcher, his arms strapped to his side, his elbows locked, his body bound in a straitjacket, then sunk in a stretcher like a furrow in a field, his eyes, the only part of his body not restrained. They couldn't restrain his eyes, two black dots flickering in the light, darting wildly back and forth. They carried him out the door, and my mother followed, pausing in the doorframe to ask me, would I watch the turkey? I nodded yes, I would watch the turkey, not TV. I sat on the gray kitchen linoleum, propped up against a cupboard next to the oven, and listened to the turkey hissing in the dark, hot oven, fat dripping like sweat from its headless body, memory of my mother pulling a flap skin over its neck cavity to keep the stuffing in. This dead turkey this day, my only companion. My mother had asked me to watch the turkey, but I couldn't see the turkey. I sat in the dark alone, 
so alone. There was no window for viewing. I opened the oven door and sat cross-legged watching the turkey. Then I turned off the oven. After a while, the turkey stopped hissing. I remembered the turkey had colored in second grade, each feather a different color. All its feathers spread like a peacock, a happy turkey, not a turkey beheaded for the oven. And then I grew sad, so sad. My father, my mother, JFK, and the turkey, Turkey Day. So Thank that's you. A, Thank you very yeah, much, Pamela. That, that was beautiful. I, I think now that we have this very sensory uh, image of you sitting there, the hissing, yeah. the smells, the watching, of course, vigilance is something that happens when people are traumatized. I wondered if you, you know, these scenes, when you re-immersed yourself, you commented about how you wrote Turkey Day, um, you know, more than, you know, two decades ago. I, yeah. I, I wonder if you feel as though you couldn't have distilled those images until now in terms of what they meant to you. Oh, yes, yes, that's, that's true. And in fact, in 1999, when I wrote an earlier version of this, I wrote it in third person as if it didn't happen to me. I wrote it in third person, and um, I now, of course, have it in first person at the beginning of my memoir. But in the process of writing this memoir, um, I tucked this new version, um, revised version of Turkey Day, very sensory, into the middle. It was in the middle. And then I was in a workshop with writer Danny, Danny Shapiro, and she mm-hmm. was talking, of this, it was a memoir writing workshop, and she was talking about the importance of, of uh, grabbing the readers right away, especially in a memoir. And here I had this tucked away, and that resonated with me. I bravely, I came home from that, that workshop, and I moved it up front, right Just- up front. Right, which is the great. Way I read it. Because yeah. it is it is as you say riveting. Danny Shapiro is the author of Inheritance and that memoir is perhaps in its 11th printing by now. It is um a, a, a tour de force as well as yours is. I think I'm so glad you're here. It opens with this riveting account, but then it also weaves in what I would call very tender and very innocent family scenes. So the reader is now being carried um, with these flashbacks from you. Uh, and I, I just mm-hmm. wondered, um, you know, we store trauma, not just in our heads. Um, and ultimately, you realize that. Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of experiences did you have from, from Turkey Day? from sitting and watching the turkey. But see, it's not just that sitting and watching the turkey, which is was horrific. It's that uh, um, that was in the childhood home that I grew up in for 18 years. Okay, so my mother, my father then was put into a mental institution and given 28 shock treatments, which wasn't right to do, but that's what they did in 1963. So anyway, so after he had those shock treatments, my mother packed up the house and moved to Miami, to Florida, where my much older, 12 years older sister lived at the time. She just packed everything up and left, and left me in a college dorm room 
I can remember her driving away and 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 I was still I didn't realize I I I think I had some I, some kind of a, a breakdown standing there, you know, just some, the trauma, like, really hit me because I felt abandoned, and I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD of abandonment. I don't know what it would have been, been like if Turkey Day existed and then, I don't know, everybody, that yeah, still was traumatic, obviously, because my mother, why did my mother go out the door? And leave mm-hmm. me there. Um, a childhood friend who just read this book said she cried because she said, Tammy, as I was called then, I, I live six houses down from you. Why didn't your mother, you know, say, I, I want you to just turn, let's turn the oven off and then I'm going to put you somewhere else and I, I'm going to go. But as you see at the, toward the end of the book, and this came from writing this memoir now, I, I realized how traumatized my mother must have been. That is not something she would normally do. She would have thought to, you know, get me out of the house. I mean, why would we, nobody's going to eat the turkey. So, um, you know, the, the whole process, uh, it, it, it's complicated. Yes. Be, not complicated, I know, but you see, you see, the abandonment is what I'm trying to get at. I didn't know that I was, traumatized afterwards as I went through my life and got busy. You know, I went to college and I was going to go on with my life and so on. But it's, I'm saying something now close to what you were bringing up. It was, it was stuck in my body, literally stuck mm-hmm. in my body. I could, in my heart, in my, my stomach sometimes. As the years went by, it wanted, that trauma wanted out. And mm-hmm. um, what was difficult, what was not helpful was um, when I realized, you know, that, that there was something, but I, I didn't really even know what it was. I didn't know it was that that was stuck. Um, of course. I was given, you know, drugs um, to mm-hmm. try Suppressing. to, really, you know, reduce the anxiety until right. I was diagnosed with PTSD of abandonment. And then it was this- released. Yes, and I think that... But the writing uh, helped me release to a further level, mm-hmm. writing through it. Right, and I think that people will appreciate this who have experienced abandonment by a parent or b- both, and also mm-hmm. the pain, and, and appreciate the pain that you were in, um, which you leave very clean, your language is very spare, and there is a kind of Mm -hmm. dissociative quality that almost mimics what it's like when you're going through it. You're carrying on in a robotic way, right? You just carry on. Um, Mm -hmm. And so speak to us, because you just touched on the idea of writing as a therapeutic tool. It, It does, writing does create a cohesive personal narrative of our lives where we can link up emotions and specific events and then maybe, as James Pennebacher says, uh, have the power to take control of how these emotions and events affect our lives. Was that your experience? Oh, oh yes. Um, yes, definitely my experience. I, I don't know what, if you what more you would want me to say there. Um, um, well, I wondered if while you were writing, for example, uh, did revisiting okay. these scenes 
how was it for you to revisit these scenes? Did you, were you triggered emotionally? How did it Uh work? Oh, oh yes. Um, Definitely. Very often I would get, I would get triggered. um, And just looking at the different chapters, I mean, going, I'm I'm looking at the chapter going downhill when my father was dying finally, and he lived to be 93. um, and, And everyone came for the, uh, the funeral, but before the funeral, I was there in Florida um, uh, and, and, and went to the nursing home where he was and sat with him. And writing that was really, really triggered a lot for me because my mother wasn't coming over that day. And when the siblings came, I know, it, it just it just brought up a lot. And when I was sitting with my father, um, I, I. I grabbed uh, a piece of uh, a, a napkin that I had in, in my purse or something, and and I wrote this. I'll read just the beginning, maybe. Um, I write to keep from crying. I am alone. I am at my father's side. I am filled with tears. He, he is breathing hard. He is wild with death. His mouth open, his teeth rotten. He's in pain. He struggles. He stares at me out of a skeleton closet. He makes cries. His hands go up and down. How can a man so dignified die so undignified? He has scared my father. He looks like a child's nightmare of a scarecrow. I am alone with him. I am upset with my mother, for she would not come, as she awaits my sister's arrival. My sister won't be here until much later. My mother won't leave her. Kira, no, she says. They've come a long way to see her. I wonder how she cannot sit with my father. She is the only one he responds to now. And why would he want to die alone? I do not understand. I can't bear that now. And so I speak to this page. Should I ask for the feeding tube? Did I do right? He will get feverish now. My mother's behavior is strange, that she would just leave him, go to lunch. Where are the doctors? I feel like throwing up. A nurse comes and touches my shoulder. Tears flood at the human touch. How can I leave him? He doesn't see me truly. He doesn't want to be seen like this. Okay, so that's what I wrote there's an example of me as, as, a, as a writer in terms of all this, this trauma and everything surrounding it. it. It just, it helped me get through that, but it also triggered, it brought up everything. Mm-hmm. You were in the midst of it. I could e- like that. Yes, there are. There, there are um, accounts where you're going very deep into the pain of it and to the reliving of that abandonment. Again, you're bearing up, you're bearing everything up right. alone. Yeah. And the thing that I found remarkable about you as a writer and a voice is that you don't harbor bitterness. You are the one yeah. that has a, a really intact relationship with both your mother and your father. And you do reach a point of equanimity and understanding eventually where your mother was coming from. You danced all the way around and looked at her life and her trauma, um, which might have been intergenerational. Before we started, Pamela, you mentioned that you were going into a production for an audiobook of I'm yeah. So Glad You're Here, which just is something we would really welcome. I wondered if, um, you know, why verbal expression is even more powerful. Reading the work aloud, and we hear it in your voice, the tremor is still in your voice. Um, mm-hmm. Processing mm-hmm. it with others and reading it aloud, how that further enhances the overall effect of 
the healing effects of writing. Do you find that when you give yes. these readings? Oh, oh yes. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, well, it, the healing effects for me probably come across and also, you know, for people on, on listening, um, and maybe they would have the courage to write, write through or write about, or just write about some traumatic experience. Um, it's, uh, I, I wanted to go to what you were bringing up about the, um, I'm going to say about the ending. I think I've done something unique here. Usually memoirs are written from one point of view. I mean, this is my story. I had this trauma and, you know, and you just brought up about how I, I bring in other voices. Um, there, there's some empathy there. That came through writing this, this memoir from, you know, revising, revising, and, and even like with my, with my mother, um, I, I have, I always um, felt close to my mother. I had compassion for her and, and her growing up, what I knew about it. Um, this time, uh, let me just, I'd like to go to... We have just a couple moments. I'd like mm. you to stay with that okay. thought of find, okay. Okay, well. finding, finding compassion. We're going to take a commercial break and be back. But okay. I, I want to address this idea of finding compassion, which you did by allowing yourself to have the perspective of other people. And what you just touched on, the writing of the memoir itself, as, you know, did you kind of have that, when you finished the experience of sensing like that was therapy for me to do that. Did you have that sense? Yes. Oh, yes, definitely therapeutic. Um, and my ending is called grief, renewal and hope. And, and I, yes. I like that I was able to, to end like that. And I can, you might call this a relational memoir. I came across that term from Paul John Eakin in a book he wrote, a relational memoir, um, because I'm, I'm writing about myself in relation to other members of the family I grew up in, and particularly in relation to my mother. Um, writer Carolyn Steedman, and I like this quote from her, children are always episodes in someone else's narrative. And I've got quotes throughout, you know, that, that kind of guide the way. And that... That, as I wrote, I really wanted to open up. Well, my my siblings were, you know, they lived in a different time in my parents' lives. I was born much, much later, and so, well, and what about my mother? I mean, my mother um, felt abandoned at, at age five. Mm-hmm. My mother died, and I won't go into that story here. But yes, I can be. But but the but the thing is. I can have, here it is, I have compassion for my mother. I'll just go with that one. Uh, I, I think you sought to my understand, mother. yes, Pamela, I think you sought to understand each person in the family oh, dynamic. Oh, each person, definitely. And but it doesn't, my compassion doesn't take away from what happened to me. You right. see, I mean, I can understand those, and I, I think that's an important point to make. It didn't, it, you know, it didn't. It didn't. It wasn't right. What? What? It, just because I have compassion, like for my mother or for my sister, you know, um, it doesn't. It doesn't. I still had. I, I, I guess I'm getting at self-compassion. 
Um, I, yes. I grew to have self-compassion as well. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that to mm. feel that self, self-love self for what you experienced. The thing about this book, I'm so glad you're here by Pamela Gay, is that it is chock-a-block full of um, nonfiction tidbits, including my favorites, which are the recipes, which come in, but oh, also yeah. these very <laughs> astute, we're going to, yeah, this very astute um, mm-hmm. quotes. And we are going to cut to a commercial break now, but when we come back, we're going to find out how, with levity, Pamela Gay got from the funeral parlor to flounder Florentine and how to make it. (laughs) Don't go away. We'll be back with Pamela Gay on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion. Representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Pamela Gay, author of an exciting new memoir, I'm so glad you're here. And we're so glad you're here, Pamela. It's so interesting and meaningful that you shared your uh, resolution to trauma, your experience of trauma. And um, without being a spoiler alert, there is actually a therapeutic uh, resolution at the end. And we'll talk about that uh, EDMR um, therapy, which is a, uh, a sensory experience as well. Pamela has written a book that includes, I would say, both lightheartedness, tenderness, depth, and everything in between. Um, and and we, before we left for the break, I mentioned fla- mm-hmm. Flounder Florentine and also that okay. Flounder Florentine recipe. I actually am going to be using it. Um, so great that you add a little levity. And here's what I think is so lifelike about it. Not just that you um, jump around and dip into memories and then into current back and forth the way our minds actually work, but that you mm-hmm. you shift gears between the very deep and the very surface. So here's just a little passage 
um, about, again, the passing of your father, but it goes. My father died on Friday evening, November 17th, 1995. The viewing was Sunday the 19th, the funeral service Monday the 20th. My sister and her husband and my oldest brother, Doug, and his wife did not come back to the house after the service to eat and share memories, which was devastating for my mother. Then we go on. The five of us ate flounder florentine that I made following a recipe from the Moosewood Restaurant, a longtime vegetarian restaurant in Ithaca, New York. I made an exception to my vegetarian diet, as did the Moosewood. So there, I mean, we have a chance to giggle. We have a chance to breathe. We have a chance yeah. to, to yeah. see the, the lightheartedness in even the grimmest situation. I wonder, you know, when you're thinking of these saving graces, levity and, and humor, did you feel them at the time? Was that your experience? You were observing these things and were you kind of telling yourself inside jokes to get through it? Uh, in, in part. I think I had more fun writing it later like this the way that I did. It was pretty serious then. I mean, with my mother sitting there and, and, and everybody didn't gather together. Um, so I, I do. I don't think I put this in that. My, no, that was some, another time. I, I'm getting the scene mixed up. I was going to say something about my sister, but she wasn't there. Um, another time when I, I I broke up something very serious. I I did this throughout. I think when my time there that that weekend, um, but I captured it here. Right. Um, I, I think it. It, it, it's really in the writing later that I can show readers, you know, I think at the time I was just stuck in it, really. You know? Right, right. It was, it was traumatic. It kind of, yeah, yeah, just, and I saw my mother sitting there. Uh, it just broke my heart, uh, you know. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that you also gained perspective. You gained wisdom and insight, but mm-hmm. also perspective and some levity, you know, about the situation. Also, when you view it in hindsight, there is beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the other mm-hmm. part that makes this such an authentic memoir, and I would urge people to read it, um, it's very helpful in processing any kind of traumatic situation and who doesn't have one, mm-hmm. um, is that you are very aware and allowing uh, for fallibility of memory. You talk about, you know, mm-hmm. I allude to this because you just mentioned, well, there was a scene right. and, the, and my sister and I'm not sure. And of course, that's how we think. And the beauty of your <laughs> memoir is that you are generous and you're vulnerable. You allow us to, uh, to know that you thought your brothers were there when your father was taken out in the stretcher. You thought they were there, but it turns yes. out they weren't. And this, this yeah. humanness, this humanness, Pamela, it's really, it really makes this very real. The other thing that was startlingly um, intimate and authentic to me, I listened to the oral conversations um, with your parents. It's on your website, pamela-gay.com, mm-hmm. um, for homecoming with your mother playing the piano yeah. and your parents singing Noel. <laughs> Um, through that, I really sensed your love for them. And yeah. how was it, how was it to, how is it for you to hear their voices like that? Oh, 
you know, and I made it into an installation also and uh, at an art gallery, and I, I put the different writing, uh, writings really uh, on the wall. You could, you could walk around the room and read them like pages, but you could then sit down and open, uh, open the, this suitcase and put on headphones, and you could, you could hear my mother's voice, just what you heard. People sat down, and I and listened to this, and they had chills. They had, um, that, I, I saw people weep. <laughs> they, they had yes. tears as they sat down and, and, and listened to it. Um, my, mother, my, my mother playing the piano, my father singing Christmas carols, and sending this to me on a tape, you know, session tape. Um, yeah, so... It's incredibly beautiful. I felt like I was it, eavesdropping. I felt like I was in an intimate family yeah. setting and eavesdropping. And your mother is playing and she's saying, I, do, I don't think we got that right. She, she's a perfectionist. She wants to get it right. And it's just, it's so tender. I'm not at all surprised that people weeped or wept. And yeah. um, I love the idea that you did it as an installation because I think you are kind of a multimedia artist. You're thinking yeah. in all dimensions. Um, it reminds me very much of a Louise bourgeois installation where she'd collected all of her mother's Shalimar bottles, the perfume. Yes. And they yes. went, you, have you seen it? It's, it's, yes. incre- it's incredibly tender. Um, I, I just, I think it's the opposite of what happens when we shut down, when we are robotic, when we're disassociating because we're going through a traumatic time. You've like really reconnected um, and uh, teased things out. Some of the scenes still feel very raw, but you mm-hmm. have also been able to telescope back by now and showed us the perspective. Uh, I'm going to give mm-hmm. uh, listeners a little bit of um, background. You are, um, as we mentioned, you Pamela Gay is the recipient of a New York Foundation for the Arts Award in Creative Nonfiction and an Independent Ebook Award for a homecoming, which combined text, image, and sound. It's an installation based on this memoir and sponsored by the New York State Council on the Arts, and it included artifacts, as you mentioned, the suitcase. Mm -hmm. Gay's writing has been published in Brevity, Iowa Review, Patterson Literary Review, Midway Journal, Monkey, Bicycle, Gray Sparrow, Festival Review, and other literary journals. She lives in upstate New York, and we're broadcasting actually from the Hudson Valley. Um, your memoir, I'm So Glad You're Here, is now out. And I wondered, Pamela, since you've done this and now have afforded yourself the time to investigate, will there be other memoirs? Is there other material <laughs> you'd like to study? Mm-hmm. Um, share. I've avoid. I, I, I don't. I don't think so. I've just sent out um, a, um, a collection of um, very short, um, you know, flat, flash prose, um, flash prose with some flash memoir. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to put a, a have a chapbook, you know, together uh, about a um, fifty pages, that kind of thing. I'm interested in working with the flash more. Um, I, I don't want to do another memoir. The memoir that I, I know some, some people wondered about why decades later I moved, you know, from the trauma age 18 and then decades later to um, the, 
the family funeral, I'll call it. Um, what happened? You know, I divorced. What happened? Well, I thought I would try to put that into this memoir, but it, it took over because I actually ended up uh, marrying someone who then had, who, who, who developed, I'm going to say, a mental illness um, mm. in, into the marriage. Um, mm. he, he got what we call um, you know, a bipolar, severe bipolar disorder which mm-hmm. I guess waits and then comes out maybe in your 30s. And so uh, it was very traumatic, and I felt abandoned again. I had to leave because um, there was domestic violence. I had, we had two children. I had to get out of there. And then I only realized in, through, in writing this and thinking more about it that that was a kind of abandonment because I had plans. We had our family. You know, this was 10 years into the marriage and um, I, I had to do that. So I didn't want to include it here because I tried to. I wrote 50 more pages or more, but it took over this memoir. And, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, it took over this memoir. And it's not one I would want to write um, because, I, you know, I have adult children now and I wouldn't. It, it's, just, it's just too painful to go into. Uh, right. But there's, it's interesting because my mother didn't know my father, uh, that mental illness ran in my father's family. And she learned that six months into the marriage when she was pregnant with my sister. But I didn't know this until 10 years and two children into the marriage. And it was a different kind of mental illness. My father didn't, there was no domestic abuse, you know. No. So is that, and I think, to answer your question, I don't want to write that. I don't, I, I need to, I'm, I, look where I am at the end of this with grief, renewal, and hope. I don't want to go back, go back. into that. I understand. I, t- I, I totally understand. And I also believe that um, you've gone into flash memoir, flash writing, um, mm-hmm. just explain to listeners the brevity. And also, if I may insert here, this compact memoir, I'm so glad you're here, is a dream come true to read because it's approximately 150 pages. It ends with the letter from your mother explaining how she learned of your father's mental illness six months into the marriage and how she was disappointed in herself for for throwing things, for getting angry. Um, But so here you have a very tight memoir that is succinct and, as you say, stays on message, on point. To deviate from that, it's something else. But what is for listeners and, you know, when you're, we're talking about your um, publications, so these are the top journals, Brevity, um, these flash right. fiction journals. These are the top mm-hmm. in the literary world. Mm-hmm. Define it right. for us. Define it for us what, what that genre is. Oh, well, flash, um, the flash fiction and flash prose used to be called short, short story. Like Hemingway wrote, he wrote, he wrote a flash prose. Um, but it was called the short, short story then. In fact, he named that uh, the one I'm thinking of, uh, a very short story. So, um, I, I taught flash fiction, flash memoir, and I limited the word count to 750 words, and that's pretty standard. And uh, what I really like about it, I think, you know, I'm a photographer too. So 
um, I'm drawn to microfiction. That's another name that comes up for these short ones because of the feeling of immediacy and, and intimacy. And I like to move in on a scene to zoom in like a photographer, but going where a photographer can't go. You see what I mean? So I can, in the 750 words, I can, I can really zoom in and, and bring you there. And, and, and it's actually a story. Um, that takes, you know, talent, of course, and work to, to get it like that. Every single word matters. Whereas in a 300-page novel, you can get away with you know, some runaway whatever. But fluff. everything yes. has to runaway be fluff. tight. Yeah, and I love I, yeah. it's it's like fluff. But I I I love the snapshot idea. I love the zooming in mm-hmm. very tight and moving yeah. back out again. And also, look, we're in a situation now where our time is very compressed. It's very strange times yeah. to be able to read something that moves moves you. Like this memoir moved me. Um, I'm so mm-hmm. glad you're here. Um, it, it, it's, it's a real contribution because it's understanding of our situation and our attention spans and our ability to, you know, yeah. it's, it's more, our lives are much more episodic. I'm not even sure it's just children who are episodes in someone else's mm-hmm. narrative, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're mm-hmm. all episodic. Um, and, uh, you know, so now we've got you, um, you know, with these scenes zooming in and zooming out. Um, you had uh, the um, exploration of the wounds that we carry um, growing up in fractured families. Um, and can you just, we have a couple minutes before the break, but Many people experience intergenerational trauma, I guess, but I'm Mm -hmm. asking you, is it something that we can actually start to heal from if it's still recurring uh, in some way, or how does it finally get exercised? I'm glad that you brought this up. I remember um, meeting some people in, in in my yoga class who who, who, who really wanted to read the book because they, they said they were, they were around their aging parents with siblings and everything. Their siblings were acting like this and this happened and they didn't want to, And that person didn't, and there was all this. And someone else came over and they started telling these stories. And, and they didn't, they didn't, they were so glad to hear that there would be a book about that brought this out in the open because you just stuff it like, you know, you kind of like, well, that's the way my sister is or that. And it, it's important to process it somehow and, and move on. And I, I think maybe we don't like to tell other people or even ourselves, like what happened, oh, I just got over it, I'm doing this now. But we really all need to try to process in some way, for want of a better word, process. I, for me, it would be writing. But, you know, but I, I think perfect. this is a good book also for you know, sibling relationships. There mm-hmm. are a lot of problems there with, with many siblings. and they You're not kidding. I, I mean, I was an only child, and there were, there were a couple of times where I thought to myself, well, this is one of the few occasions I've been very glad to be an only child. Um, <laughs> we, we are going to cut, we are gonna cut to a break, but I, I, I do, I do um, want to leave us with this idea of we're going to find a certain sense of processing. I think processing is precisely the right word, because even when you're telling a story verbally, 
you're getting it into the you know prefrontal cortex you're getting it into language you're shifting it over to the left brain and even more so with words some of the paradoxes in this in this book i'm so glad you're here are so profound and one of them that we're going to delve into when we come back from the break is how your father pamela preferred mm-hmm. daughters something i found so intriguing preferred his daughters over his two sons. And we're going to take a look at that. Very curious and not typical, not typical situation when we come back on Dropping In with Pamela Gay. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Pamela Gay having a very interesting and insightful conversation Concerning around her new memoir, I'm so glad you're here. And I think the title captures something that you mentioned during the break, Pamela, is it's invitational. I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm so glad you're here. You know, I I think Mm -hmm. even going into the story, um, as you were mentioning, it's invitational because you're sharing yourself, you're making yourself vulnerable in the book, you're showing the underside of family dynamics. Not everybody wants to go there, but look, all mm-hmm. of us experience some tensions, and by sharing, mm-hmm. it, it, lifts all, it lifts all boats, right? It's, it's a tide that comes in that lifts mm-hmm. all boats. Uh, you've had that experience, right, of of hearing that from people. What kinds of things do you hear? Mm. Oh, uh, oh that, they, they couldn't put it, that, they just read the book right on through. They, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't put it down. I'm, I'm hearing that, that they, it's not just the length. They just felt drawn right in all the way through. And so the, the page turning, you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. hearing that. Um, that's wonderful. But so much, yeah, but so much more. Um, um, I would encourage listeners to go to my website, Pamela-Gay.com, because I have there um, some reviews, Kirkus reviews, and, and, and comments by other people. And then on Amazon, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of good re- reviews, so you, you get different responses. 
but everybody mm-hmm. seems engaged um, and likes the, the form. Um, and and, and I think that fits in with what you were talking about, especially today. But you know, I just wanted to say something about the title. I'm so glad you're here. I originally called this um, the, the family funeral or something like that. Um, and, <laughs> Sorry. It's not as infantational. It's not in, no, it's not no, as inviting. And, no, and, but that's how at, at another earlier workshop, um, I, um, I, I, I made it a short story. And I'm going back to my avoidance. I, a, a short story was in third person. And I called myself Veronica. And I wrote oh, about dear. the weekend of the funeral. Um, but I see, but that was protective that mm-hmm. I had to go through that before I could use I. And then um, a, a writer friend of mine had read that, and I said, what do you think? And she said, Pamela, I like that, da, 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 da. but if, you've got, if you go to first person, you're going to find this opens up, really opens up. And I, I bravely did that. So but I'm talking about the stages. I, I just couldn't. Um, uh, and then also in that workshop, when people, when um, I, everybody, you know, read it, it was third person, and everybody said, this is really well written, they liked it and everything, and they, then they turned to me in the workshop and said, but we hate your sister, we really hate her, oh, she was really blah, 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 and I thought, well, oh my God, something's really wrong here, and I didn't yes. want it to work like that, and you can see what I've done with that, even yes. opening up that sister, because I love, writer Rebecca Solnit, I quote her, and I like this quote, really, there are so many stories, so many stories. Okay, I'm telling my story, well, I wonder, I can open up a little bit to see my sister's story a little. Not that, you know, everybody has a story, and we don't live in a world right now of much compassion, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope I bring that, that in, uh, I, you know, especially... I- I think that you do. And I think that the way in which it's not slobbery compassion, like, oh, I feel for you, I feel your pain. It's exactly, it's exactly the same. It's this concise, I want to know their story. I want to know that person's story. I want to take the time to hear their story. And I really, I just applaud that because I do agree with you that it's in short supply now. We think we have to be lavishing some sort of, uh, you know, smothering words, but it's really about, no, I'm just going to go to that person's history, that person's perspective, where they were in that point in space and time. Your father, we we were mentioning him, what a beloved character he was. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and he he somehow, and because you, you mentioned this is, book is about family dynamics. I'm so glad you're here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the family dynamic of him focusing on you girls, and you in particular, Pamela, it seemed to me, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. were felt yeah. kindred spirits. The garden and the, the garden that he planted mm-hmm. as your wish in the shape of yeah. art with the colors you <laughs> wanted. I mean, just so endearing. Mm-hmm. How did how did that come about? Usually men are like, well, my, my sons. Me, and- yeah, yeah. Well, my mother told me that my father paid more attention to me than, than any of the other children. But I came along much later. My, you know, I, my siblings went through what were, were born before World War II, the, the, the Great Depression, my parents experienced 
I was born after World War II, so much later. I was almost raised like an only child. My father did read to me. He paid a lot of attention to me. And, and there wasn't fighting uh, like my, my siblings must have experienced. My mother just kind of gave up. It was eerily quiet, but I was really attached to my mother. I even used the, you know, like the, the word umbilical cord. It was like attached, I was attached to her by an invisible umbilical cord or something. She would be sewing, but, I, but she was present. You know, she was present, but sort of absent present, I suppose, because she, it, it was hard for her, all she, she went through. Um, this this part about yeah. it makes perfect sense, and the sense of quietude, um, which is and which I carry with me as an only child, and the sense of solitude mm-hmm. and sol- solitariness, yeah. it does come through in your voice. And I appreciate mm-hmm. so much that you peeled back the layers of yourself to go into the first person, become brave, and really. Yeah understand how you fit into this microcosm, this family. At a, at mm-hmm. a certain point, and this I, I want to um, give the spoiler alert to readers, it's not just that the book is a page turner and uh, is greatly engrossing and engaging. It's that there is, at the end, uh, if we're absorbing mm-hmm. trauma, as you say, you know what it feels like. Your, your, your heart is racing. Your stomach is churning. Your, your head is hot. You know, your ears might be drumming. I mean, things are, your palms are sweaty. So naturally, you're going to end up having some kind of physical or physiological remedy for trauma. And in the end, it seems like you felt relieved to learn of your diagnosis of abandonment and PTSD, and then what happened from there? How did you resolve it? Well, I, I did have, you know, twenty. I, I think I had the same. I have to think I had twenty-eight EMDR, you know, meetings. Whatever I, I got to talk about it, and um, but it wasn't talk therapy. I just it was the EMDR goes deep and makes you feel it, feel it. And it was, it was very hard, the first few sessions, but I gradually became, uh, got, got more released. Um, partway through, when I was getting those treatments, I, I decided to go to a, a movie just by myself one night, um, something about Spotless Mind. I can't remember the beginning of the title. The Eternal um, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind <laughs> with Jim Carrey, uh, one of my favorites. I know, but I read just part of the synopsis, and I just thought, oh, I'll just do that. That'll be good for tonight. And and I didn't read the whole synopsis, unfortunately. So I went there, and then it shows that how to how to how to um, how to forget someone in a relationship you've been in, and the relationship's over. Oh, and and then they put like the electrodes over the guy's head, like, and that's what I saw my father has, you know, for shock treatment. That's what they do, and. I, I was, I, I couldn't move. I was alone in the theater. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do, I got triggered and it was mm-hmm. awful. I don't know how I finally got out of there. I did. And I brought it up to the therapist afterwards and we went to MDR and through MDR and she said, you, you got triggered. But once you go through this, the rest of the MDR sessions, what's going to happen is that you are not going to get triggered. It, you could tell the story. I'm telling you the story now. I'm not triggered. Um, right. Because 
you process the word, that word process it, and that's that's what this will do for you. Oh, and it did. It was so relieving. I I, I didn't want that to happen again and again. It would keep coming up, you know, uh, abandonment in relationships and everything. Um, yes. This abandonment, even with the, the you know the husband, I had to leave. I still felt our family was a. I had to completely do something different. So abandonment yes. kept coming up. But that relieved me, and um, and then you know writing. Um, yes, I, the writing of it, as we talked the, about. The yes, the therapy of it. And, and, and Pamela, grief, yeah, renewal, and hope is the last chapter. Um, and um, and that's and I bring up. I'm so glad you're here. My mother's voice echoes. But what am I? What can I do now? Look back at, and then I answer my question that I raised for myself. Look back at the past with forgiveness and compassion, including self-compassion. Yes. I think that's, those are really good lines there. It's also, um, it's momentous. And um, we just have a couple of minutes left of our show. Can, can I and put a plug in for the, my mother's tur- um, uh, oh, very Vermont Indian pudding, the other recipe? That, that is, is a wonderful recipe with molasses. Oh, my God. Yeah. It is delicious. It t- Okay. It's a marathon. It takes like five hours. Um, it probably takes longer than reading the book when you're really compelled like I was. EMDR, um, for those who don't know, is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. <laughs> yeah. And it works yeah. on um, PTSD, anxiety, depression, addictions, and more. And it um, it is a conversation between the left and right hemisphere. I just, we have a couple of minutes until the close. I wondered if now you, you described yourself and this can be a yes or no, um, but, or um, you described yourself as a still life frozen at times in the book. And because you were experiencing things you couldn't process, that's the definition of trauma, that which can't be processed. Mm-hmm. If you were, if you were a painting now, would you be a still life any longer? <laughs> if I were a painting now? Yes, still life is a painting. So are you a still that's life or are so. you more in motion, unfrozen? Uh, I think more in motion now, yeah. That's good. Okay, we've been speaking with Pamela Gay. That makes it all worthwhile that you're in motion. You're thawing. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. What a pleasure it's been. You can find her on Pamela dot, uh, pamela-gay.com. Instagram, Inner Hebrides, and Facebook. Uh, Thank you so much, Pamela Gay, for making time for us. Thank you all for listening. And until next week, be safe, everyone. Be aware and do your healing, do your sharing, and read Pamela's book. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then.